You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, January 24th. The Farmers Insurance Golf Tournament began today and will continue through Saturday, January 27th. Please be aware that the tournament will impact parking at the glider port and will likely increase traffic in the area, so plan accordingly. In other news, the next session of the AI Community of Practice will take place this Friday, January 26th from 10 to 11 a.m. Visit the highlights section of the current homepage, click on Office Hours, Training, and Communities of Practice, and navigate to the AI Community of Practice section to find the Zoom link. Or just keep your eyes peeled for the link in tomorrow's IT Services newsletter. Those are all the updates for this week. Now let's pass it along to Mark Herzberger, who sat down for a conversation with Galen Davis. This is Mark Herzberger, Communications Manager in IT Services. Today, I'm joined by Galen Davis, our Senior Education Technology Specialist. Galen, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Um, Why don't you give us a brief introduction or elevator pitch about your current role, then we'll talk some of the details. Sure. Yeah. So I work on the multimedia services team within ITS. Uh, Though the majority of my team is focused on producing videos for grant-funded faculty in our studios and managing Studio U, which is our sort of self-service studio, Uh, my role is different. I I am, my chief job is to manage, support, and configure Kaltura, which is the third-party video provider that, you know, is mostly used by faculty in Canvas. Yep, I'm a big fan. fan of Kaltura. We use it in our communications work. Why don't you give a go into a bit more detail about what Kaltura is and how the, the faculty are using it? Sure. So Kaltura is essentially a software as a service uh, partner that we've contracted with, and they give us essentially unlimited media storage and service that's related to teaching and learning. So the primary way that most people at the university interact with Kaltura is through Canvas. So most of our faculty, if you're doing anything video related in Canvas, chances are it's Kaltura. Uh, We also do have a standalone site um, called Mediaspace, which is at mediaspace.ucsd.edu. It's available to anyone with Active Directory credentials, uh, where, you know, it's, it's basically a way to share media more broadly and to organize your content into channels. But the service is just really about video hosting and uh, storage and delivery. And it's available to everyone at the university. What are some of the main ways that faculty and instructors use it? And how has this service maybe changed uh, for the better what they can do with video and and media? Yeah, so um, it might be illuminating to kind of talk about when I started. So my first day on the job was March 30th, 2020. So I basically snuck in right before the hiring freeze uh, and right at the start of the lockdown, essentially. So when I was uh, interviewing for the job, it seemed like the Kaltura piece of it was, you know, was a significant piece, but it wasn't going to be overwhelming. Well, when I started, suddenly 
everyone was a video producer. <laughs> you know, all faculty, all faculty of the university are suddenly, you know, using Zoom to record their lectures or to, you know, deliver things synchronously to students and recording them. Um, we, we do have a Zoom integration, so everything that was recorded to the cloud, and it's the same today, anything that's recorded to the Zoom cloud automatically makes its way to Kaltura. So at that time, the majority of our content was coming from Zoom. As time went on and the pandemic, you know, became an epidemic and now is sort of just sort of part of life now, the majority of our content comes from the podcasting system, the, the lecture capture system we have at the university. So, you know, we have this system uh, largely maintained and, and configured by Matthew Fetter that essentially records within the classrooms if, a, if an instructor signs an agreement and elects to, and all that content now feeds into Kaltura. So that's where most of our content's being used. There's still plenty of people, you know, using Zoom and recording, you know, recording to the cloud and having it come over. Uh, but, and, you know, a handful of people, you know, recording their own stuff and uploading it manually. But primarily these days, the content is coming from the podcasting system and people are just taking advantage of the in-classroom technology. Okay, so it sounds like long story short, in the early days um, when you started, everything was remote so if the if the instructor did the class on zoom that could get recorded automatically or with some controls and show up in canvas so people could watch later nowadays it sounds more like if they've got the equipment and signed the agreement and they're in the classroom they're getting the audio portion and that can feed in for the kids to listen later uh it's actually the video as well and the screen so, you know, instructors can elect to have whatever combination they want. They can choose not to be on camera and just do audio if they prefer. But many of them are using, you know, presentations or, or using the chalkboards or the whiteboards. So there are cameras, there are automatic tracking cameras uh, in many of the classrooms, all the general purpose classrooms. Such that you've you've gotten feedback. What are what do you hear from instructors about you know how they use this and how it benefits them? And on the other side, what do you what have you all heard from the students about how they like this technology? I think faculty benefit from the unlimited storage that it offers and the automation that the podcasting system can give them in terms of automatically recording their class and automatically ending up in their Canvas course. And you, know, you sent me a few notes before we met. I wanted to follow up on one thing. Um, so you wrote in here, I also part of your role says, I generate research-based articles on best practices for using multimedia for learning. That sounds very interesting. So what are the details of that? The area of best practices when it comes to using multimedia and learning is, is definitely a burgeoning field. I mean, it's been around for a long time. I mean, ever since there's been television. Um, and even radio, I mean, people have talked about how best to use these kinds of materials, but, uh, so there's a good body of literature. There's a, you know, there's ongoing research. So what I try to do is to keep on top of that research, to read what's out there and to try to summarize what it's saying. In a sense, the UC system is very fortunate because we have Richard Mayer, who's one of the sort of seminal authors, uh, in this field. He wrote a book called multimedia learning, and he has articulated sort of 12 principles of multimedia learning that's looked on as sort of a, I guess you'd say an, an authoritative text on best practices. So I'm trying to take that stuff and, and distill it and to summarize it so that it's much more digestible. And so we, I, I try to present research on video length and how much video you should have in your course and 
you know, what it means to learn through video, the sort of cognitive neuropsychology behind it. Now, I'm not an expert in these fields. I'm just trying to gather the in existing information and to present it in a way that's, uh, that's more digestible. What do you like about the position you're in and the role you have? One of the things I really love about the position is that it's never a dull moment and there's never... I never, I'm never doing the same things from day to day. I get to do a wide variety of tasks sometimes. And I, and I enjoy a lot of them as well. So some people might get bored with the idea of say, writing documentation, uh, on how to use Kaltura, for example. Um, I actually really enjoy that kind of stuff. It's an organizational task that is very satisfying. I also get to, you know, record some tutorials and that's kind of fun. So while my colleagues are hardcore video editors and, you know, videographers and know everything about the equipment and, and how to use microphones and lights and cameras and studios, um, I'm a pretty straightforward guy. Um, and, you know, I can use a mic and a camera and I use relatively straightforward editing software, uh, in particular ScreenFlow. That's what I like to use on my Mac. But I enjoy, uh, you know, doing the voiceover. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here in my studio, my, I'm using finger quotes right now, studio, which is my closet <laughs> where I'm surrounded by clothes that dampen the sound. And I, I enjoy just being in here and reading a script. And I've done a handful of other voiceover work. I mean, not in the sort of, uh, money-making context, just I've, you know, like I recorded some VO for, um, the Scripps Institute for Oceanography and, and, and so, so I get to do stuff like that. There's some acting, there's some writing, um, of, of, of the scripts and of the, you know, documentation and, you know, playing with HTML, trying to finesse the KBA system, you know, within service now. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it, there's, so I guess the short answer, if I was to make this a really succinct answer is there's a lot to do. There's a lot of variety in what I do and, uh, and I enjoy pretty much all of it. I did want to ask you about, you know, your early days, uh, you know, very ominous time, March 30th, 2020, what, <laughs> what position or what, what were you doing in, you know, like February and early March, 2020 and what, and what was it like to, you know, kind of jump into this two weeks into the big shutdown and all that uncertainty? Yeah. So I suppose it may have been less jarring for me than maybe someone else. So prior to working at UCSD, I had essentially been a remote employee for five or six years. So I was already familiar with what it what it's like to work at home. And, you know, we we had moved to San Diego in July of 2019. So we had been there, you know, I'd been there for what, like, you know, seven or eight months. And it was important to us to have a home office for me there. So I was kind of already set up for it. So the thing that I was most worried about in some ways about starting the job at UCSD was parking and transportation. Like, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get the kids to school? How am I going to, you know, what's the traffic like? How much is parking going to cost me? So in a way, the pandemic, I mean, obviously the pandemic was awful, but uh, it took a lot of pressure off in a lot of ways to not have to figure any of that stuff out. And uh, as astute and uh, dedicated listeners of our podcast know, Anything on a guest LinkedIn can and will be used against them, Galen. <laughs> I noticed um, you attended Stanford, got a couple of degrees, worked there, even taught there. You're really raising the profile of our guests, I have to say. So what what is that fine institution like? <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, so I'm a Stanford grad. I did my uh, undergraduate as well as a master's degree there, uh, all in the sort of area of humanities. Uh, and uh, my master's work was more sort of a 
cultural studies kind of degree. Um, what I was looking at there as a student was were video games. I was really interested in researching video games from an academic perspective. So my honors thesis was about video games with film noir themes. So I loved being a student there. It was great. Uh, left the area for about a year to try to sort of be an adult and try to make it in the world. I moved in with some friends uh, in Denver. Um, couldn't really find a job. It just it didn't really work out. And because of the time I had spent at Stanford and doing research projects with faculty, you know, that those connections sort of led to a, a job opportunity. And uh, I got a job at Stanford and worked there for, you know, eight years, uh, seven, eight years. And it was a fantastic experience uh, working at an institution like that, though I was living in San Francisco and it's quite a commute, but, uh, but made it work, you know? And all right, so you mentioned the interest in video games and the research, and that's always my next question of just how did you get into, you know, media, multimedia and video for a career field? My career really started in the area of what was called academic technology at Stanford. And it's a broad term and it's, you know, it can mean a, a bunch of different stuff. It's basically helping technology, or rather, I was helping faculty use technology in their teaching. And that could mean a variety of things. Eventually it became somewhat more media focused, but as someone who studied video games from an academic perspective, it does kind of bring you into the world of media in general. So when you are looking at video games as a medium, critically, you have to, in a way, or you are often comparing it to previous media. So I took several courses that had to do with film and television and what it meant to be a consumer, a viewer, and how the role of a player is sort of fundamentally different from that. So from an academic perspective, I was sort of, I was sort of grounded in media studies, though not from a learning perspective per se, but just as a sort of consumer perspective. Um, I imagine a lot of, I'm not a gamer myself, but I think a lot of college students play video games. And I'm just interested how, as a, a younger person, you are interested in the, the research aspect of video games or the academic study of them. So when I was a student, uh, obviously there was still plenty of interest. And this is around, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, and there was, you know, obviously tremendous interest in games. You know, I even, even then I think that video games may have been outselling Hollywood at that point, but the study of video games was still a very brand new area and wasn't really being covered a lot. So in a way, me kind of engaging with that academically was very exciting because it was, a, it was kind of a new field at the time. And the questions that I was attempting to answer or explore were not really being covered by a lot of the faculty that I interacted with. <laughs> so in some ways it was fun to sort of, sort of push the faculty themselves with whom I was working to consider this new area of, uh, of media as, as worthy of research as, as uh, worthy of attention. Um, so, so that's kind of how it was. It was a brand new field and it was really exciting to be sort of a, a trailblazer. This is completely unrelated, but in your Stanford time, did you happen to cross paths with Chelsea Clinton at all? I did, as a matter of fact. Uh, she she was there at the time when I was there. She knew me by name. Um, I, would I, we, were we friends? No, but uh, it, it happened because my girlfriend at the time was the RA of her dorm, and 
you know, Chelsea was there and uh, I kind of ran into her a couple of times, just like sort of in banal situations, like she was having a bowl of cereal or something like that. And she came to plays that I was, I was, I was an actor. I did, you know, plays and musical theater and stuff. And she came and she would say good job to me afterwards. I, she was a very delightful, pleasant person. I was always shocked that she remembered my name, but yeah, I ran into her. You know, who else was there while I was there was, uh, I'm trying to remember her first name, uh, but it was Kenneth Starr's daughter. <laughs> so, and she was there at the same, yeah, and she was there at the same time as Chelsea Clinton. Uh, so Chelsea Clinton had Secret Service. Uh, oh, it's Carolyn Starr was her name. Uh, Carolyn had U.S. Marshals. So they were, they were just <laughs> competing, you know, protection out there. So, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a UCLA guy, and uh, she came, she went to... She went to Poly Pavilion for a basketball game one time, and uh, I saw her there. So I guess we're about the same age. Oh, interesting. Put two and two together. Um, <laughs> and so, all right, so you lived in the Bay Area, and then it sounds like you moved uh, to these uh, welcoming climbs in 2019 with your family. Uh, who's in your family? Uh, I've got uh, three kids. I've got three daughters, aged 12, 8, and 6. And my wife, Anne, who's a fertility doctor, she is the you know, sole doctor and medical director of a fertility clinic in La Jolla called Pearl, Pearl Mini IVF. Oh, okay. What's it like being a, a dad-daughter times three? I love it. Uh, when I, I remember there when, uh, I think when I had my third, uh, I had a colleague who said, hey, you're part of the dudes club now. And I was like, what's the dudes club? He's, he's like, it spells, it's spelled D-O-O-D, -O -O which is dads of only daughters. So I have absolutely no problem. Everyone was like, oh, you must have been hoping for a boy. I was like, nope, I actually just, all I really wanted out of kids was at least one girl and I got my wish and then I got two more. So I I love it. Um, I am surrounded by X chromosomes. We have three, we have three pets, uh, all of which are girls. So <laughs> there's... There's no other Y chromosome to keep me company, but I don't have a problem with that. Got me a proud <clears throat> member, Herzberger the Younger. Some people might know she's about four and a half. We're only having one. That's where you and me uh, part ways, Galen. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all we can handle. I, I commend you, uh, but I I wouldn't change that for anything. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you guys like doing as a family? Well, uh, my wife is uh, tremendously busy, as you might imagine, and that's kind of been the case since we've been together. You know, we between medical school, residency, fellowship, and now a job where she is the only doctor and has no, you know, she's no backup, so she's working half the weekends of the year. So when we do have time together, we try to get out, and uh, you know, we do a lot of walks in the neighborhood. We like to. Uh, I recently got an e-bike, a cargo e-bike, so I can put two of the three girls on the back of it. We like to bike around. We, um, and you know, I get a little bit of exercise, but we can go pretty far. And the girls like playing video games too. So even with my six-year-old, I'm playing, you know, couch co-op games with her. So she's going to outpace my skills before she's uh, hitting double digits is my guess. And, uh, so we, we do like to play video games. We have, you know, several systems and they play on their iPads and, you know, if there's one thing that went out the window in the pandemic, it's the pediatric, you know, the, the American board of pediatrics recommendations for screen time. And, uh, and my girls are, you know, very screen saturated and, and we play a lot of video games. I would rather they play video games than watch something because video games are a much more active experience. 
Okay, sounds good. Well, Galen, we appreciate uh, having you on the current podcast, and thank you for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.